2: Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm happy to be joined by Yusei
3: Cultural writer for the Bear Report. Yusei, uh, how you doing today? Doing well, dude. Um, obviously, fun action over the weekend with uh, Big Ten coming back. Mm-hmm. Excited to do this thing again weekly. Absolutely. So we're recording this episode
2: on Wednesday, October 28th, uh, following that disheartening loss, to say the least. Uh, that the Bears took on Monday night against the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, you know, you said the Bears just got out-coached and outplayed in basically every aspect of this game. I don't think the score quite indicates how much more, you know, how much better the Rams were in this one. They pretty much dominated this thing from beginning to end. And I have to say, it all starts up front, I think, when you look at this game, at least for me. You know, the Rams defensive line led by Aaron Donald, they just controlled the line of scrimmage the entire game You know, it it was just kind of an explanation point, I felt like, Uh, something that's kind of been building up over the past couple years with this group up front for the Bears, and that is just that the Bears' offensive line, it's just really bad right now. And you can just see that from left tackle to right tackle. You know, James Daniels going down definitely doesn't help them one bit. Uh, That left guard position with Rashad Coward starting there is just a complete liability. It's just its a mess right now. Um, and you can just see it over the past couple of games, they've been getting dominated up front. Their running game has been non existent um, ever since the Giants game, and it's just not looking good right now. Um, for you, is that kind of the same
3: impression that you got from watching this one? It is definitely the same impression. And the unfortunate thing is, Pace has neglected the offensive line for years. We look at his two highest draft choices. In 2016, he selected Cody Whitehair in the second round. 2018 he selects James Daniels. When I look back at the six NFL drafts that Ryan Pace has had here in Chicago, Whitehair and Daniels are the two highest offensive linemen that he's drafted. I mean he drafted Grasu in the third round in 2015, neglected had Whitehair in 2016, by the way. Jordan Morgan as a fifth rounder in 2017, James Daniels in 2018 as a second rounder, and then 2019 and 20, well, 2020, he had LaCavia Simmons and Arlington Hambright, but those just do not, really, out of all those, it's unfortunate that White here so far has been the best player. I think that Pace needs to understand that in this league, when you hit on a couple offensive linemen, you're set for the next decade because at the offensive line position, there is not, there's not just substantial turnover the way you would expect turnover to occur at a position like running back or wide receiver, for example, or even like defensive linemen. So the reality of the situation is this pace has neglected it for years. He kept kicking the can down the road. And now all of a sudden we see it's catching up to him or it's actually caught up to him fully.
2: Yeah. I mean, you've seen him try and, I mean, they've tried to invest in it a little bit in terms of extending some guys and um, getting some cheap creation signings out there. You look at Bobby Massey was the one guy that they brought in and then Charles Leno, obviously extending him as a former seventh round pick from Phil Emery's uh, regime. You know, you look at that going into this year. And then even, you know, you look at extending Kyle Long, obviously that didn't work out with them getting injured and um, obviously retiring. So They've tried to do some other things besides the draft to address the offensive line. And it kind of seems like they're doing the bare minimum, it feels like, but not really continually addressing it and investing in it like you'd like to see them do. And what's kind of bothersome to me is, like you said, they, they invested two second-round picks uh, Ryan Pace has at the offensive line position so far as a GM. And both of those are guard-slash-center prospects when you look at Whitehair and Daniels. Neither, neither of them are tackles. So, when you, you know, when I think about addressing offensive line and drafting these guys, you know, I'm looking to draft an offensive tackle high and maybe address my guards and centers maybe a little bit later on in the draft because you can find – it's a lot easier to find quality interior offensive linemen a little bit in the mid-rounds and to later rounds of the draft. But if you're going to get a quality tackle, you got to do that early and you're going to have to take some shots at it often, I think. And he just hasn't done that so far, and that's just kind of something that – is starting to bite them a little bit. They didn't really invest a lot in it this offseason. They tried to play it a little bit cheaper. They thought coaching was maybe the root cause of their struggles last season because 2018, they had a pretty good unit on the offensive line. They were able to play up um, to their standards pretty well. They were a borderline top 10-ish unit, but uh, 2019 and 2020 just just hasn't been the same.
3: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, because this Bears team, a lot of times people compare the offensive system – mainly because of Matt Nagy to the Chiefs. I'll give you guys an intriguing stat. So I went on Pro Football Reference, and I looked at how many times the Chiefs have selected an offensive lineman under Andy Reid. Now, Reid got there in 2013. They have actually, for the most part, I think outside of two years – drafted an offensive lineman every single year whether that is a high pick like a first second third rounder or it's like a lower end pick like a sixth like a fifth sixth seventh rounder and so it just really and the Chiefs have one of the more solid offensive linemen even without um one of their top guys opting out but it just really goes to show that the teams that win in this league are not only the ones that have a franchise quarterback but they're also the ones that continuously invest in offensive linemen because they know that the heart and soul of your offense starts up there with those uh big five.
2: Yeah. As much as the NFL starts to trend more towards the passing game and getting quality skill position players and the quarterback being such a more important position than it ever has been at this point, you know, some things never change. You have to win the game in the trenches in order to succeed in, in the NFL. And that's what we're seeing every single year, year after year, the best teams in the NFL they invest in their offensive line and they're very good up front uh, for the most part. And I think that's a good time to uh, transition then to our topic for today's episode. So for today's episode, we're going to be focusing a lot on the offensive line position in college football right now, going over some of the big name prospects to keep an eye on for the rest of this season. We've kind of talked about some of these guys in earlier episodes, but I think this is a good time to really focus on them and give you guys our thoughts on some of these guys and where they're at going into the rest of this year and before the pre-draft process really starts to kick in in a couple of months after this season. So we're going to get to that real quick, but first it's time to talk to you about our sponsor for today's episode, MyBookie. Between the NFL, college ball, and MLB playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch and with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, You can turn your game day into payday with MyBookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value as well. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more. Sign up today and begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. All right, jumping right into it here. You said starting with these offensive linemen here and some of the big names that we should really be focusing on. Obviously, you know, the big guy to talk about is Panay Sewell, but we know that the Bears probably don't have a chance at drafting him in this one. So for you, who's one guy to start off real quick that you think that, the Bears could be in position the draft when it comes to next year's draft that you're excited to be watching for the rest of this year.
3: Yeah, so for me, the first guy that comes to mind is Michigan's own Jalen Mayfield, and I kind of highlighted him last week when we discussed the or previewed the Minnesota versus Minnesota versus Michigan matchup. But this was, I think, May last week was actually Mayfield's 17th start, and I was really impressed just watching the entire game on. Um, Saturday night watching him, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this game and forget everyone else on Michigan. This is the one guy that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Because right now I do think that he is a mid to late first round prospect. I mean, he, yeah, he has room to grow, but he's big. He's athletic. He's listed at um six five, three twenty, Right. And then there's some mobility to his game as well. He's more of a guy that is the traditional right tackle in the sense that yeah, he's, Going to be so much better in the running game. He can definitely improve in his past sets. I saw some of the improvement from 2019 to 2020 last week, but I think he's someone to keep an eye on as a riser.
2: Yeah, that was somewhat of uh, my concern as well with Mayfield. Uh, it seems like, you know, when you look at him, he's a very good athlete for his size, and he certainly uses that very well in the run game. You know, he's very good running downhill, and you don't want to be a, a linebacker or, or a safety or a defensive back um, in the way of him when he's out there pulling and running in space, blocking you, but he does seem a little bit choppy in uh, pass sets, and I don't know if that's just a thing where his he's just not a natural mover uh, from side to side uh, with his mobility, but that does concern me a little bit. He's more of a like you said natural right tackle, I think, which you know the Bears could definitely use. Bobby Massey's getting up there in age, and his contract is. Um, you know, they could save some money by moving on from his contract at some point as well, which will be definitely needed at some point uh, because of where the Bears are at uh, cap space wise going forward over the next couple of years. The first guy I wanted to focus on is somewhat similar, I think, to Mayfield in that he's a bigger, athletic, run blocker type of tackle um, who may have some struggles in pass sets, but there is a lot of upside to work with there. And that's Jackson Carmen, left tackle out of Clemson. You know when I look at Carmen here, he's a former five-star recruit who has started left tackle for Clemson over the past couple of years. He's six foot five, three hundred and forty-five pounds. I mean, this guy—he's massive. He's a huge dude. He just moves people off the ball um, in the run game. And you know what? Similar to Mayfield, he moves very well for his size as well. He doesn't have the quickest feet that you'd like to see in pass protection, which can kind of—you know—you can kind of see the struggles against more speedy edge rushers who can kind of dip around the corner there. Um, I think he might fit best at right tackle to begin his career, where some of his shortcomings dealing with speed and pass protection can be uh, helped out and nullified just a little bit. But the one thing I really like about him is that he plays with a mean streak in the run game. And if he can just improve on his technique just a little bit, uh, there's just a ton of upside to work with here. You know, I don't know if he's a, you know, a legitimate, you know, Locked in first round talent, but I think he's a guy that should be targeted early on in the second round, and I wouldn't be surprised if, in the pre-draft process that we see his stock rise due to how important the offensive tackle position is in today's NFL, and because I think he's going to do a really good job in the testing department when it comes to the athleticism at the combine and uh, some of the other pro day stuff.
3: Yeah, definitely. And so for me, right, another guy that I'm kind of keeping an eye on is um the interior offensive line, right? So would be Ohio State's uh, Wyatt Davis. And I think like when I did a little bit of background research on him, I found out like, yeah, you know, his great grandfather played in the NFL back in like the 50s and 60s. But this is someone to keep an eye on because Ohio State, I think this is the first time in a couple years that they've actually had like multiple offensive linemen, interior offensive linemen that are going to be declaring for the draft. And Davis makes sense for this team for so many reasons because he's physically imposing, okay? When I look at it, I realize you're going to have David Montgomery as your starter in 2021. The reality of the situation is, is that the Bears have not gotten the most out of Montgomery, and it's been because of a poor offensive line. So you got to invest in these guys that are big and physical in order to kind of get the run game going. I think David's – Davis fits the um, mold perfectly because he's going to come at these defensive linemen from essentially any angle. Now, in terms of where he's going to start, I would say it's going to be right guard. And the reason I say right guard is because we know that the bears probably are not going to go back to the James Daniels at center experiment that failed last year. And they made the switch like last year around this time. So, you know, Cody white here is going to be your center because he's under contract till 2024, All right. White here is going to be your left guard. If Fetty's just a one-year stopgap type solution. So I would say that maybe that for Wyatt Davis, his place here on this offensive line is right guard.
2: Yeah. Wyatt Davis would be a great addition, I think, to the Bears offensive line. I'm not sure. I think he's a guy that will probably going, probably be going in the first round. He's got a lot of great ability. And like you said, the Bears need a road grader up there in the interior. You know, one of the things we saw in the Rams game and even going back to the Bucs game and Colts game is that they just get bullied up front a little bit too often and getting a guy like Davis, who brings a little bit of a physicality and a presence there in the middle there could be something that the bears could absolutely use to their advantage. You know, for my next guy, I'm going to be staying in Ohio state to focus on Davis's uh, teammate here. And that's Josh Myers, the center for Ohio state. And he's kind of, like you said, Ohio State, they have a lot of great, talented offensive linemen coming into this draft. You know, it really over the last couple of years, you look at Jonah Jackson last year, uh, their left guard, who's now playing for the Detroit Lions. He's a pretty good prospect as well, picked in the third round, I believe, uh, in last year's draft. So they've had some talent out there at Ohio State. And Josh Myers, he's just another one in the long line of guys that should be drafted pretty highly in this one as well. You know, he's kind of been the anchor for this Ohio State offensive line over the past couple of years. And while you could say he's benefited from playing next to Jackson and Davis, uh, Myers, I think, has some special talent as well as a center. Uh, to me, he's a plug-and-play guy at the next level. You can put him in there at center or guard, and he's going to be a very solid starter for you for a long time to come. Uh, to me, he's a complete package. 6'5", 300 312 pounds. He's strong. He's athletic enough. He provides a very good anchor and pass protection. And you know what I really like, similar to uh, you know Carmen there over there at Clemson, is that Myers does a really good job of finishing plays and playing to the whistle and run game. So he's a guy that brings that physical element that you want to see up front. And you know, like you said, the Bears with Cody Whitehair at center, they don't necessarily have a huge need there. You know, Whitehair is certainly serviceable at that position, although we started to see him start to fall off a little bit over the past couple of years, which is a bit concerning. So I think they need to strengthen this interior because we've just, again, we've seen them get bullied a lot over the past couple of years. And that just has to stop. You know, you got to be able to impose your will at some point on the imposing team. And that starts when you get guys that are physical and not afraid to play mean up there and not afraid to hit people in the mouth. You know, I'm not sure with white hair, you know, going forward, if he's the type of guy that will hold up at center. So I think white hair, it might be best in his best interest to move back to guard where he can focus more on his technique and actually just blocking the guy in front of him, instead of having to worry about all the pre-snap protection sets and communicating to the rest of the offensive linemen and making sure that he's focusing on snapping, which has been a problem in the past. You know, getting a guy like Myers, who's a natural of all that, would really help, I think, Whitehair uh, maximize the rest of his career here in Chicago. And it would really solidify this interior offensive line group to where they can have a solid three there with Daniels, Myers, and Whitehair.
3: Yeah, definitely. And Myers, so you know, touching on uh Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, I think that those are gonna be the two, the first two interior offensive linemen off the board. And I think right now, look, they're both probably gonna be first round picks. You know, if the Bears come away with like either one of them I would be thrilled because like I said with this offensive line or with offensive line in the NFL when you hit on a guy and that guy can stay healthy then that guy is going to be your starter along the o- line for the next like 10 to 12 years I mean listen Kyle, Kyle Long right was drafted in 2012 or 13 right and he was a mainstay presence there until at least the second half of his career where yeah he did experience the injuries but again you know it just goes to show that you hit on these guys once and then boom, you don't have an issue on your hand for the next couple seasons. But another guy that I'm looking at or that I'm going to be keeping an eye on is Northwestern's Rashawn Slater. Now I don't know if Northwestern played this past weekend, but again, this is a local prospect that the bears need to heavily look at. And I see some of the bigger draft analysts like the athletics, Dane Brugler, saying, Hey, He's potentially the top offensive uh, tackle in this class, or he's a top three guy. Now, that's important to me, and the Bears need to be keeping an eye on him because, like I said, number one, he's a local prospect. Two, the improvement for him has essentially just been, like, really steady over the last year or so. And so going into the season, like, right now, like, I look at Slater, and I'm like, okay, yeah, he would probably be a – to most people right now, he's not really known – But um, just because Northwestern, it's like once every couple of years they send an offensive or they send a prospect to the NFL, right? But, like, he reminds me a bit of, like, Robert Hunt coming out, okay? And the lateral mobility is definitely there. I just think that uh, he does need to be a bit more consistent, but uh, he definitely has the urgency to, like, get off double teams and whatnot. And he plays with, like, a high motor, too. So this is another person that I think that could slide in and play, like, left tackle or right tackle for the Bears.
2: Yeah, Slater is a guy that's pretty interesting because he plays left tackle for Northwestern right now. You know, I've heard I've seen a lot of guys that want to move him to guard. I think to start off his career in the NFL and then maybe try him out at tackle later. You know, I'm always of the opinion that you try out guys at tackle first and see if they work or not because tackle is such a valuable position. You know, guard finding a guard is more so about finding the right fit more than anything when it comes to you know getting these offensive linemen in there but tackle they're such, you know, a valuable commodity. You want to make sure that, you know, to at least try them out at tackle first before and, make, and you know, see if they fail and then put them, put them at guard instead of, you know, putting that guard right away, assuming that they're going to fail off the bat at tackle and then switch them to tackle later on in their career. I, I just think it's a better strategy that way. And Rashawn Slater, he's a guy that has the physical tools, I think, to be able to survive on the outside. So Similar to Robert Hunt, like you said, I was a big fan of Robert Hunt going into last year's draft. I thought Robert Hunt, you know, he was a guy that provided a lot of versatility because he could play tackle, he can play guard as well. He could be very, very a very good guard, in my opinion. The same thing with Prashawn Slater. He's a guy that has a talent to play tackle. Maybe he maybe he will work out there, maybe he won't, he won't work out there, but at the very least, he's gonna be a guy that can contribute for you definitely inside at guard and be a mainstay, I think, for your offensive line for a long time. He's a guy that I think the Bears would be remiss not to at least take a look at um, on day two in the second or third round of this draft. Um, And for me, I'm going to have to go with for my my last guy here, a player that kind of fits that similar mode as Slater when it comes to a guy who's playing tackle right now. But he may be a better fit on the interior. And that's Zion Johnson out of Boston College. You know, he's a very big player with a good amount of athleticism. He's not an elite athlete, but he has more than enough. To make it work in the NFL and he just has a very high upside in my opinion you know he's standing at six foot three 310 pounds and he's playing left tackle right now for Boston College but his best fit probably based off of that physical profile he's not the longest guy in the world so he will be probably be a guy that'll play inside at guard in the NFL uh, he's a bit raw with his footwork he's a guy who transferred over from Boston College from uh, at the FCS level so he's a guy that didn't have a lot of Uh, hype going into college, but he's kind of worked his way up through the college ranks to the point where he's a guy that's going to be getting a lot of attention, I feel like, as we move forward in the draft process. So he needs to work on his footwork a little bit, He needs to work on his technique, but there's just a lot to like here, in my opinion. He shows that he has enough agility to be able to move side to side in pass protection, and he's very physical at the point of attack. Again, this is something I've emphasized a lot with these three guys that I've highlighted here. But it really should be said that Bears, they're more of a finesse offensive line right now. And they're showing that you need somebody up there at the offensive line position that can play a little bit mean, get a little bit physical, not afraid to get dirty, and move some guys off the ball, off the line of scrimmage. So Johnson, he's a guy that relishes that. I think he's a guy that would be a very good addition for this run game. And he can anchor very well in pass protection as well. You very rarely see... Bull rushers really get up in his face and push him back into the quarterback. And, you know, one last thing here on him is you got to like that versatility there as well to be able to play tackle in a pinch. You know, even though he's a guy that'll probably be best as a guard, you want to have offensive linemen that can play multiple positions, I think, when you're drafting these guys, especially in the middle of rounds. You know, and that that just helps your depth quite a bit because now you have a guy that if an injury happens here or there, you're confident in him playing a multiple – of a multitude of different positions and that just helps your flexibility and keeps it keeps your depth going as well to where you can do a lot of things um up front and be very flexible with that
3: yeah definitely i think you know with zion johnson right so i've watched him like only once or twice but you know he's like you mentioned the versatility is definitely the biggest aspect here because i think that assuming that Because here's the thing. I don't think that, like, Leno and Massey, their contracts are set to expire sometime over the next year or two. But unfortunately, I just don't see, like, you know, the Bears moving on from, like, both in the same offseason. Because, again, this is a team that they've only got limited resources. Yes, they're going to have a ton of compensatory picks and whatnot. But, like, let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, how many offensive linemen that are drafted on day three actually go on to start in year one? Which means if you are going to select offensive linemen next year, then you're going to have to do it with like your first second third round picks now johnson i think that he would honestly right now i think he is has the potential to be a high riser and honestly like he can be around a a, uh, draft target in round two or in round three the versatility sticks out to me the most because like you said you could stick him at tackle or at guard it's just going to be up to like what the team decides, like, okay, where is he best suited? at? I would probably say for me, it would be tackle just because again, you know, if you move on from like Leno and Massey, that's two big holes, but if you retain one of them, you're going to have to slide Johnson in there immediately.
2: Absolutely. I definitely get, I can definitely get on board with that. Like I said before, you want to test those guys at tackle first to see if they can work there. But if not, I mean, you know, getting a quality guard in the second or third round is never a bad thing, I think. Um, So for one last guy to cover, you have another tackle there that uh, should be interesting to watch throughout the season, another Big Ten tackle. Tell me more about him.
3: Yeah, so Daniel Falili, I hope I'm saying that name correctly, but uh, he's 6'8", 400 pounds. So like I've seen certain people be like, okay, well, this is the next coming of Makai Fecton, who was a first round pick, but here's the deal. Look, for I don't think he's going to be like a high first round pick the way that Becton was. I think that when you look at him, he's got the size and he plays up. He's got the size. Definitely. Right. Plays up to that size too. And then he's got great arm length too. And the reason the arm length sticks out to me is because we see all the premier tackles in this league. They have really long arms because that's essentially, they use that to kind of prevent defensive linemen from getting around them. And then the strength component there is important to me too because I think the reality for a guy like Fellui is when you are going up against an edge rusher like a Khalil Mack, let's say, that's going to go and convert speed to power, what happens is you have to be able to hold your own. And we've seen that offensive tackles that can't do that and hold their own, especially when you're going but up against guys like Von Miller or Khalil Mack. Von Miller with the bend, Khalil Mack with the speed to power there's a chance you're just going to get eaten alive on every single snap.
2: Yeah. What needs to be said about uh Philele here is he is six foot nine. And the last he was listed at, I think was 400 pounds. I mean, this guy, he's a, literally like a mountain that they just place on a football field. And they're saying, Hey, block the guy in front of you, and just take him out of the game. That's what he is. He's just huge. Um, and you just notice that right away when you're watching him on a film not the the fleetest of foot, he doesn't really move his feet all that well, either in the run game or pass protection, which is a bit of a concern. But like you said, if you have that arm length and that strength to uh, so be able to anchor like he does, you know, that really helps you out and kind of balance that lack of mobility that he may lack. So he's a very interesting player. I'm not sure where to peg him at this point. I've seen some hype at, at first round or even second round uh, to me, I think he's more of a second to third round prospect just because I do have some, some, some concerns about how he'll, he'll move and hold up on the edge, you know, when they have to put him on an Island a little bit in pass protection, but uh, he's very intriguing. Uh, like you said, he's kind of drawn some comparisons to Mackie Becton, but I wouldn't go quite as far there. Mackie Becton is a special athlete. I think he does have some very intriguing traits, but I'm very excited to see how he develops because, you know, You just can't teach six foot nine, 400 pounds. That just never, that rarely happens. He's just a massive player.
3: Yeah. So, you know, I think overall, like my summary on Falui is that this is a prospect who, number one, you know, you have to keep an eye out on him because again, like one game in 2020 is not enough to judge what he can eventually become. Obviously we have to see how he performs now over the next couple of games to get an idea of where he's at. But with that said, I think the potential, like you also mentioned, is definitely there. So he's a bit raw right now, but definitely someone that I'm not going to say he's like a complete project because he's got a lot of intriguing um, traits and aspects to his game. But definitely someone that you look at and you're like, okay, if he gets into the right situation in the league, wherever it is, whether it's with Juan Castillo or somewhere else, he is going to end up having a good long career in this league.
2: Absolutely. And definitely someone to keep an eye on as the Big Ten progresses throughout the season. Uh, Speaking of the Big Ten, uh, the Big Ten had their first week of the season this past weekend. So we're going to be talking a bit about that, going over some of the big games and big performances from this past weekend. Uh, Before we get to that, though, we're going to take our second break of the show with a word from our sponsor.
0: Every day can bring changes, challenges, and opportunities that can also change your personal or business financial goals and priorities. As a true partner, Sandy Spring Bank can make it all a bit easier. Someone who really listens, understands, and then creates solutions in hard times and good times. We'll always strive to be your advocate today and every day. That's real banking for real life and real business. Visit sandyspringbank.com real member FDIC.
2: And we're back here at Picks for Pace, moving on from our talk about the offensive line and some of the big names that we've been talking about here that should be on our radar throughout this season. Let's go to the Big Ten and recapping some of the big moments from this past weekend and some of the things that we saw out there from a lot of these games. I'll start with the one game that we talked about last week, and that was Wisconsin going up against Illinois. Wasn't much of a game in this one. Wisconsin pretty much dominated this thing from front to end. Um, But there are some things to talk about here, and that starts with freshman quarterback Graham Mertz, who looked fantastic in his debut. You know, he's not somebody that's going to be, you know, obviously as a freshman, he's not going to be someone that's going to be entering the draft uh, for this next year in 2021. But, you know, for the Bears going forward, they're going to have a need at quarterback, I'd assume, um, as the years continue. And so keeping an eye on Mertz going forward is something that I'll definitely be doing. He looks like a guy that has some interesting traits to build off of. And just looking over the stat sheet for his game, I mean, really a historic debu- debut for a Wisconsin quarterback. He went 20 for 21 passing this one for 248 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, d- that's just that's just dominant right there. Wisconsin really hasn't had that level of quarterback play over the past couple of years. But now that they have a guy like Mertz in there who can give them that threat through the air, it really helps out Wisconsin in terms of uh, being that program that could make some noise in the next couple years.
3: Yeah. So you mentioned, it. I mean, Graham Mertz had a great game. And again, you know, it was pretty uh, fantastic for a guy who's a freshman. Right. But also, um, you know, another big performer in that game, that's a 2021 draft prospect and you highlighted him. And, you know, when you sent me the outline last night, I was actually going to throw him on there, but you did it for me. But it's Jake Ferguson, the tight end. I mean, this is someone that when I look at, I'm like, OK, so yeah, the Bears invested in uh, Cole commit But I've said, I have said this last week, and I'll kind of say it again until we get to the draft, right? The thing is, is Jimmy Graham and Demetrius Harris are not your future at the position. Graham's likely a cut candidate next offseason essentially when you look at uh, the way that the financial side of things is shaping up on the football operation side of things in the NFL in terms of salary cap space. But Ferguson's a guy that I think is, has really served as a security blanket for the Badgers offense over the last couple of years. And then looking at it, I believe that, uh, you know, he, there is some, a lot to his game where he would perfectly as a receiver, he would perfectly complement a guy like Coe So this is one name to keep an eye on where I'd say that as the season goes on, the bigger role that Ferguson has, he can definitely right now, I'd say like probably a third, fourth round guy, but there's no reason to think that he can't propel himself and solidify himself into second round conversation.
2: Yeah. We've talked about this quite a bit. The tight end class for this upcoming draft is loaded with talent. And when you have a guy like Jake Ferguson, who I think, you know, even comparing him to a guy like Cole Komet from last year, I think Jake Ferguson, I don't think he's quite as good as Cole Komet coming out of Notre Dame, but I think he's a lot closer than a lot of people may think as a prospect. And, you know, when you have some of the guys at the top that are going to be going high in this draft in the first and second round, he pushes a guy like Ferguson down the board for a lot of teams where now normally a guy that would be picked in the second or third round might be someone that's available for the Bears in the fourth or fifth round. And that's going to be exciting when you, got, when you got a guy like Cole Komet already that you're investing a lot in as a long-term solution at tight end. Ferguson could be that perfect complement type of guy to kind of, you know, give the Bears that two tight end threat that they've been looking for under Nagy. They've, we've kind of seen them a little bit feature the tight end so far this season. Jimmy Graham's had a nice uh, season so far, especially as a red zone threat. And Ferguson can kind of supply the same thing. He's a very uh, big body receiver. Very mobile mobile player, really runs fluid routes out there. I wouldn't say he's the most explosive athlete in the in the world. He's not like a mismatch problem where, you know, he just creates a bunch of headaches for your defense in terms of like, who's going to guard this guy um, in man-to-man coverage. He's not that type of player, but he's a very reliable receiving option. And in the game where you need as many pass-catching weapons as possible, I think he's a very safe player to look at in the middle of this draft for an offense that could use some more young depth at the tight end position going forward.
3: So, yeah, what I'll say regarding Ferguson is this, right, is he does need to improve, though, as a blocker. Because, like, yeah, the Bears have, I think, J.P. I mean, there's guys, like, there's solid blockers on this roster, like J.P. Holtz, right? But, like, Holtz beyond that really has not had that big of an impact in 2020. I really liked Holtz last year because of his blocking ability. But his role has been diminished when you add in guys like Kenneth Graham and Demetrius Harris. But Ferguson, you know, his blocking is going to be one thing to keep an eye on. If he can improve that, there's no doubt in my mind that, yeah, he is not going to be on the level of like a Pat Freermerth or a Brevin Jordan or Kyle Putz, but certainly someone that's going to slip through the cracks here. And I think that every year we do see a couple prospects at certain positions just end up falling through the cracks. And then all of a sudden you look up and those guys are, you know, one of the best in the NFL at their position.
2: Yeah, and it's very possible that Ferguson could be the case there. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. Uh, moving on then to the next game that we have listed here is Michigan and Minnesota. Uh, Michigan, another dominant game here, uh, beating Minnesota 49-24. to 24. Kind of surprising because we went into this uh, season, and, you know, at least for me, it looked like Minnesota was going to be in contention here Obviously, I think Ohio State's on a different level than a lot of these programs right now, but Minnesota was kind of in that second tier. We look at Penn State, Michigan, for example, the second tier teams that are even Wisconsin that we just talked about that maybe they're not on the level of Ohio State right now, but they're a very good program and a team that should be going for a very quality bowl game. You know, if it were a normal season and not a COVID year, but I mean, Michigan that just took it to them. They were very physical on the offensive line. I mean, Jalen Mayfield was an absolute beast in the running game, like we mentioned to, uh, earlier in our last segment. Um, but I think the big story here in this game is the emergence of Quidipea for Michigan. You know, he's an edge rusher with some nice tools. You know, he kind of he's more of that uh, strong side edge guy in a four three scheme, or even a three four if you want to have him as an outside linebacker where he's a very strong player at the point of a point of attack. And he has some explosiveness and quickness to his game where he does bring, you know, a very nice element of pass rushing ability. Um, you know, he had six and a half sacks last season and he followed that up with two sacks and three tackles for loss in this game. Uh just a very dominant performance for him, matching up against those Minnesota tackles. And he was just living in the backfield all night, it seemed like.
3: Yeah, so Quiddy Payne was the best defensive player on the field. Um, When I look at another Michigan guy that stood out to me would be Cam McGrone, and McGrone really in the early stages of that game was all over the field too. So he's someone that I look at, and I'm really excited to watch kind of his progression over the next couple games here because I do believe that McGrone is going to be one of the highest risers in this draft i mean just last week alone he had uh two tackles and then i'm sorry uh yeah five total tackles and then half a sack right so a lot of people are like okay well it's not that great no he played a really solid game by all means
2: yeah michigan they have a lot of talent in that front seven another guy that we've kind of talked about on this podcast before is Aiden hutchinson defensive end uh, From Michigan, he's a guy that is kind of versatile in that he can play a four-three base defensive end, or he can be a three-four defensive end for you. Just offers a lot of versatility with his physical tool set. So they have a lot of talent on that Michigan front. They've been, they've been kind of you know a breeding ground for some really good players uh, coming into the NFL over the years. You know Chase Winovich is a guy that was was an under under the radar player. A couple of years ago in the draft and now he's having a great year for the patriots um because of course the patriots find you know a value like that in the middle rounds of the draft but um you know they just seem to be going through these defensive linemen year after year after year and they just are just loaded with talent right now and that's how they're going to win this season with their front seven and just punching people in the mouth and just dominating games up front
3: Yeah, definitely, and so that Michigan kind of, you know, personal thing is this is when um, Chase Winovich was coming out of the draft a couple years ago, I was like, if there's anyone that needs, if there's one guy that's going to fill in the role behind kind of that third edge rusher behind Mack and Leonard Floyd at the time, it was going to be Chase Winovich, but unfortunately the Bears didn't get him, but yeah, you're right, like Michigan's kind of Michigan's front seven, especially Quitty Payne, right? They were up in front of Tanner Morgan's game or Tanner Morgan's face like all game long. And personally, like you're right, you know, the way that Michigan kind of attacked Tanner Morgan, it was like, all right, well, this is why Tanner Morgan is gonna be one of those guys whose stock kind of slips um as the season progresses. Granted, it could just be one bad game, but what I saw wasn't encouraging, especially for a guy that's kind of been there the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that's a good opportunity
2: to transition to the Minnesota side of things here, because like you said, Tanner Morgan, he did not do himself any favors in this one. He really struggled, like you said, uh, dealing with the pressure of Michigan's defense, um, had a couple of bad turnovers there in this game. Um, he's a guy that, you know, when you're looking at a quarterback in the strats, I, I don't think anyone would confuse him as a starting level prospect. Um for a guy that's going to be picked in the first two days of this draft. But if you're looking for somebody on day three um, to be kind of like a developmental backup type of quarterback, he was someone going into the year that a lot of people had their eyes on as someone that could be someone that could separate themselves in this season. And he just did not get out to a great start. Um, with that said though, Rashad Bateman, uh, he continues to stand out for me as a legitimate first round talent at wide receiver He had nine catches and 101 yards in this game. Uh, He is just a very well-rounded receiver, and I'm very excited to see how he does the rest of this year. But one guy that I was really impressed with that wasn't on my radar whatsoever uh, was running back for Minnesota, uh, Mohamed Ibrahim. Uh, You know, not a lot of hype surrounding this guy as a prospect, but he did show some nice things out there um, that could get him drafted late, whether it be this year or next year. You know, he's a junior right now, so he may stay for another season. But he's a guy who's very short and stocky. He's got some solid quickness and some very good contact balance as well, which I was very surprised at for such a smaller player. Um, Definitely someone I'm going to keep on my radar because, you know, he had 26 carries for 140 yards in this game. And that's against a very good Michigan front. So he wasn't doing this against a bunch of scrubs. So uh, a lot to like there from him. We'll see if he can keep that going for the rest of this season.
3: Yeah, he was one of those guys that for um Minnesota, right, immediately stood out. And I think that looking at, you know, his play style and whatnot, he's going to be one of those guys that it's like, he's going to be very heavy, volume, like volume heavy in the NFL in the sense that, yeah, he may not have like, you know, these major breakaway runs and whatnot, but if you keep feeding him the ball, he's going to heat up as the game goes on. And I think we really saw that this past Saturday when he was going up against Minnesota because him and I think yeah, him and Rashad Bateman were honestly like my two bright spots on Minnesota's offense.
2: Absolutely. I agree. I mean, they, they were single-handedly those two just keeping them in this game. And I mean, there just wasn't much they could do in the end, but um, definitely some guys to keep an eye on because especially with Ibrahim there, I mean, with the NFL going more towards um, multiple, multiple running backs and getting away from that uh, one running back to build around, you know, he's a guy that could fill in very nicely into a rotation there, and he brings an interesting skill set as a guy that can, you know, t- take you know eight to ten carries throughout the course of a game and just keep some of your other running backs fresh. Um, so moving on to the last game we'll talk about here, um, it was a uh, wild game to say the least. Indiana upsetting Penn State, thirty-six to thirty-five in overtime, um, just. I mean, where do we even start with this thing? I mean, I think when you have to start with Penn State here, that's really where the conversation has to be because Penn State going into this season, to me, they were the second best team in the Big Ten, at least in my opinion. And for them to you know, start the season laying an egg like that uh, doesn't look quite good uh, mm-hmm. for their, their long-term prospects this season. I just think mistakes and turnovers really hurt them in this one, especially from Sean Clifford. He had... Two really bad interception in this game that led to points and you just can't have that uh really in any game but especially in one like this where you're playing from behind for the majority of the game and in indiana they, you know credit, credit to them they really took advantage uh, they didn't really play a great game offensively but when they got those turnovers in the short fields they took advantage they got in the end zone on one of them uh, and they got points on the other one as well so they were just doing a great job of taking advantage of those mistakes Uh, For Penn State as well, I think it should be said, Pat Fryermuth broke the school record for most receiving touchdowns by a tight end in Penn State history with 16, uh, breaking Mike Gusecki's record. So very exciting stuff for Fryermuth, who, you know, we've had a lot of hype surrounding him as a tight end, so look out for maybe the best tight end in this upcoming draft when you compare him and Kyle Pitts, but he's off to a really good start um, individually for this season.
3: Yeah, so that Penn State-Indiana game, I know everyone kind of wants to be like, well, there's a controversial call, um, you know, to end the game. And to me, it's like, look, if you're Penn State, you should have never let Indiana even hang the way that they did considering all the talent that you have. Now, granted, I understand their best player, Michael Parsons, isn't playing, but like Freermuth, the tight end's the second-best guy on that team. Um, so just looking at it, you know, I didn't watch a whole lot of that game. But anyway, the thing is, right, is uh, Penn State's got some NFL talent. But now we kind of have the question, who's really the second best team in the uh, Big Ten here? Is it really Penn State after the way they let Indiana hang? I'm not so sure. I think that this team, though, with the program that James Franklin has built, they're going to be tough enough to rebound from this. And it's going to start this Sunday or this Saturday. Sorry.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think they have, I mean, they, they have a tough test. I think they're playing Ohio State this weekend, I think. So that'll be interesting to watch and see how they bounce back there. But one more note I have from this game as well is Shaka Tony, uh, another edge rusher to keep an eye on this year. Uh, he had two sacks and a tackle for loss in this game, two sacks and two tackles for loss in this game as well. You know, he's a guy that he's kind of been overshadowed by Jason Oway. who, you know, when you look at Oway, he's just, I mean, this guy has all the tools you look for in an edge rusher for the modern day NFL, but uh, Tony's got some interesting things to work with too. He's very athletic. Uh, He's kind of a slightly undersized guy for the position, but he's a guy that really relies on his speed and quickness can convert uh, speed to power uh, here and there. But I mean, if he can start to put together some really good performances here, he's a guy that could shoot up draft boards as well as a
3: guy that could be a day two pick. Some of these teams looking for pass rush help, yeah, definitely. And those, um, Tonky, right? He is a or sorry, Tony, actually, but uh, he's another one I think to keep an eye on because, like, you know, Chicago right now, like, you have Khalil, Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn are going to be your edge rushers in 2021. But what's kind of after them, like, the Bears invested a draft pick in Travis Gibson, but, like, we haven't seen him suit up at all. And so I kind of wonder, is this the type of thing where, like, Gibson's going to be, like, another Riley Ridley in the sense that, yeah, people had high expectations of him. But unfortunately, like, it's just been a loaded depth chart. He hasn't had enough, like, opportunity to prove where he can belong. Or was it just one of the types of things where it's, like, you probably missed on the guy altogether? But Tony's one that it's, like, okay... If he's there, I seriously would not be mad if they took a guy like him because, again, in this league, like, you can never have too many pass rushers. I'm looking at the way that Pagano kind of utilizes his guys, right? Like, you realize, okay, a third rotational guy is something that he would value and would, frankly, add another element to his defense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. As much as we want to see, you know, the offensive line and quarterback position be addressed in this draft, You know, I don't think you can ever complain if the best, if, you know, when you're playing BPA, best player available, if a pass rusher that's very talented that can contribute right away is available to you, you're never going to get many qualms from me in terms of going after that guy. So we have a couple more things to talk about here, some minor storylines that should be discussed to end this podcast. But before we get there, we're going to take our last break of the show with another word from our sponsor.
0: Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
2: And we're back here at Picks for Pace, concluding this podcast by going over a couple of minor storylines that we're going to be monitoring over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, we're going to start with, uh, unfortunately, an injury update here for Jalen Waddell, who broke his ankle on the first play of Alabama's game last weekend uh, while he was returning the opening kickoff, nonetheless. And, It's expected that he's going to be out for the rest of the season. You know, in my mind, Waddle's a guy that's already established himself as a first-round talent. You know, if anything, he's probably the second-best wide receiver in this draft just because of his explosiveness and big playability. While offensive tackle and quarterback are going to be top priority, I think, in this draft for the Bears, you know, Waddle, with his injury, even with his injury, I wouldn't complain one bit to see the Bears – go for Waddle high in this draft in the first round should he fall to them Um, he just got special playmaking ability and it's just tough to see him go down with an injury because he's been very exciting so far this year and somebody that just makes
3: you look forward to watching college football every weekend yeah definitely Waddle's injury is so unfortunate because right now you have Jamar Chase your three biggest wide receivers in this draft your top three are going to be in no particular order by the way but jamar chase from lsu and then Devonte smith and jalen waddle waddle's injury is really unfortunate but at the end of the day you realize that like this is someone that was before the season started some people were comparing him to tyree kill and so looking at that you're right the bears do have even with a guy like darnell mooney right the bears do have additional need for speed and if he does slip I'm not going to be mad, like you said, if the Bears select him, because I do believe that once he's, he's healthy, we'll see pre-injury Jalen Waddle. But the key thing to keep in mind here is this is over the next couple of months, and especially once we get into draft season, the questions are not going to be about what he can do. The questions are going to be about, because we know how talented of a wide receiver prospect he is, right? The questions are going to shift to at the combine, hey, is he healthy, is he healthy is going to be a big one. You know, how is the ankle feel? Is he still able to do things like cut at the level that cut when running those routes, right. At the same level that he was pre-injury. So those are going to be the questions that you're going to have to, we're all going to have to keep an eye on regarding Jalen Waddle. Once we do get to the combine and the teams are able to bring in players for like top 30 visits and whatnot.
2: Yeah. And the bears, you know, they have a great history of, uh, You know when Alabama star gets hurt, a guy with first round talent gets hurt and has an injury history, falls a bit in the draft, and the Bears end up pouncing on him to uh, take advantage of getting a guy that maybe should have been picked earlier. It worked out with Eddie Jackson. Maybe it could work out with Jalen Waddle if that same situation happens. You know who knows at the end of the day. But the only thing that that is important right now is that Waddle gets you know gets healthy, gets back to his former self and gets good to the get, gets the go uh to be able to to be able to uh you know train and get ready for the draft and and show teams why he should be drafted early and why he is the special talent that he is and you know transitioning then to another wide receiver who's been in the news quite a bit it seems like here is Rondale Moore kind of a similar player to Jalen Wild in terms of being that explosive fast um big play ability type of guy at the wide receiver position but Moore, he's in a bit of an odd situation here, it seems like, because he hasn't played yet this season, didn't play in the season opener for Purdue, and it sounds like he isn't even with the team or practicing right now. Um, You know, when asked, you know, Purdue's head coach didn't really give any clear answers. He only said that Moore is out and that they're going to see if he's going to play at some point in the season as the season continues. Um, I'm just... I'm very puzzled by this. Is this interrelated? Is this COVID related? And the school just doesn't want that information shared at this point, or is something else going on that maybe it's none of our business, really? But it may be a personal matter that you know we may have, again, no business of ours to really get into detail on that. But it, there's just so many questions that this brings up, and that's just something that teams or NFL teams are going to have to, um, you know, find the answer to going into the draft because those type of things can really impact a player's draft stock because NFL teams want to know that they can rely on a guy when they're drafting these guys high. And I'm just, I hope we get some clarity on what this is going forward, but you
3: know, for the time being, I guess we'll just have to see what it is. Yeah, definitely. You know, I know Jeff Brom, the head coach at Purdue, he was asked actually a couple of times, like, what's up with Rondell Moore. And every single time he doubled down, he's like, look, I'm not going to give away what it is, whatever the situation is. That's all I can tell you. Um, I think that this is certainly a fishy situation here, because I do believe that if he was ready to play and whatnot, he would definitely be out there now. Granted, There's got to be – you're right. There's got to be something bigger that's going on behind the scenes. Maybe he is injured. Maybe because, you know, this is someone that originally wanted to opt out and whatnot. Maybe he's dealing with some, like, academic stuff that may affect, like, his eligibility. It could really be a number of issues. Personally, I don't think it's related to COVID-19 just because when I look at it, it's like, look, let's be real. If he was – If he did get diagnosed with COVID-19, the school would probably have to release something or some way, somehow word would get out because you have a lot of people that are around the team anyway. So I think more so what it is, is just a smaller scale issue that the team as well as Brom is working through right now, alongside with more in the rest of the school. And he'll be back out there in no time. However, if this does linger, then there is some major cause for concern that, yeah, maybe there was something bigger going on behind the scenes that Brom and the the rest of the school didn't want to leak out
2: yeah and I hope for more that you know this is just a minor thing and he can get back on the field because you know he's a guy that could really separate himself I think with his play on the field this season he is a very exciting player uh, to say the least uh, he's a guy that you can give him the ball short in the slot and he, he's, a, he's a threat to score a touchdown on any given play he's just one of those exciting playmakers that uh, you just look forward to watching on game days and uh, you know he's had some injuries in the past that kind of make you question whether he's a guy worthy of of selecting high in the draft or whether you can rely on him to be healthy for a 16 game NFL season but uh, the playmaking ability and the athletic ability has never been a question with more just a matter of can he stay on the field and again I, I hope that this is all just a minor issue that they're working through right now and that Uh, he can get back to playing football this season and uh, that we get to see some exciting stuff for him uh, this year. Uh, So the last thing we're going to talk about here uh, to close this podcast, going back to Wisconsin uh, is that Wisconsin and Nebraska this weekend is going to be postponed due to COVID. Um, You say it, I'll let you uh, handle the, all the details for the
3: situation that's going on there. Yeah, guys. So, Real quick, you know, Wednesday, the Wednesday, October 28th, news leaks all across social media that Wisconsin has 12 positive tests among players and or staffers and there's a couple names that we know so Badgers head coach Paul Christ is one positive test but then so is Graham Mertz the one who just had the historic season and then backup quarterback Chase Wolf, who was actually Wisconsin's starter last year and this to me is personally the or it's essentially the worst thing that could have happened with the Big Ten because you already started the season a month late, right? Or just a little over a month late. I think it was like five weeks late. And then throughout that five or six week timeline, even in the heat of the summer, essentially, it was, hey, is the Big Ten going to play? What's going on? Et cetera, et cetera. And then we know that the Pac-12 is a couple weeks away from hopefully kicking off too, but this is just bad overall because just one week in, you've had a major coronavirus outbreak at one of the schools, and you've had to postpone games. Now, with that said, if things do significantly get worse, like – the next time Wisconsin's supposed to play is November 7th when they do play Purdue. But if things get worse, I really think what's going to happen is like even the big 10 is going to have to reevaluate, Hey, how are we doing things? Because you use that five or six week cushion that you had to kind of come up with a game plan, but in certain ways, your plan kind of failed after just one week. So it's going to be a situation worth monitoring.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to be stuck in a situation to where you're going to have to continually postpone games. You know, we've seen this a little bit be an issue in the NFL, especially with the uh, Tennessee Titans. They had a couple of weeks there where, you know, it just seemed like COVID was spreading like wildfire over there. And so you just hope that this this can be, you know, as contained as much as possible and that uh, this doesn't spread too much and that all the people involved are safe and they can get back healthy all those things, obviously, and that um, everything works out there. But, you know, just looking at the pure football side of this, I believe that they had to take, what is it, 14 to 21 days of, of quarantine or take a break there for all these players that have tested positive. I think they've shut down the building for um, the players. So uh, we'll just have to see what happens here. Again, hopefully this all works out and that um, – this doesn't turn into too big of an issue, but yeah, obviously something that's, that's definitely worth monitoring as the next couple of weeks unfold.
3: Yeah. And so Mertz, I think had two back-to-back, back-to-back tests, right. Both of them where I believe he tested positive on them. Right. And then as a result of that, like, I think the standard court quarantining period was supposed to be 14 days or something, but for him, he has to quarantine for 21 days, essentially. And so that means that even if Wisconsin's going to be playing Purdue on November 7th, which is two weeks from this Saturday, like I just mentioned, Mertz probably is not going to get back out there until the third week of November, which I think would be like the 14th or right around Thanksgiving. So you're looking at potentially an extended absence for Mertz.
2: Yeah. And and that's huge because like we mentioned before when talking about Wisconsin, Mertz brings that passing element that they just haven't had over the past couple of years and, he seems like a guy that's going to be a special talent for that program. So we'll have to see how he does. Hopefully, you know, he ends up battling this all right. And he's all good to go in the next couple of weeks here, but definitely something to monitor and maybe we'll have more information as this goes along next week. And we'll just have to see how this plays out. But, you know, moving on from that, I think this is a good time to conclude this episode of the Picks for Pace podcast. Uh, for all of our listeners out there, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Uh, you say where can they follow you?
3: Yeah, guys, so you can follow my work on the Bear Report and then follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Usaid Koshal.
2: Yep, and you can follow me at AJ freeman 25 You can also find my work the Bear Report. Um, Been writing a couple articles here over the past couple of weeks, some really fun stuff. And I hope that you guys, if you're on the Bear Report website, uh can check that out and Uh, really get some interesting information from there as well so i just want to give a shout out again to all of our listeners thank you guys for tuning in on all of our platforms for the bear report podcast and the Picks for pace podcast Uh, we look forward to next week where hopefully we're recording our episode after another bears win until then bear down
0: nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in america And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers.